March 29th. As we begin our reading today in the New Testament, we'll be looking into the book of Luke, chapter 8. We'll hear about a multitude hearing the Lord. But you know, Jesus was not impressed by the crowds that followed him, because he knew the spiritual condition of their hearts. The parable of the sower helps us examine our hearts to see how we respond to the word. But it's not enough to hear the word. We must also obey it and trust it when the time of testing comes. We'll also hear about the multitude rejecting him. I mean, you'd think that the healing of the Gadarene demoniacs would have endeared Jesus to the people. But the opposite was true. The citizens were concerned more about pigs and money than about people and mercy. The man who begged to go with Jesus, the one who was healed, well, he was the sanest one of all. And with that background, we begin today's reading in the New Testament. March 29, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 39. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. On the way across, Jesus lay down for a nap, and while he was sleeping, the wind began to rise. A fierce storm developed that threatened to swamp them, and they were in real danger. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown! So Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The storm stopped, and all was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? And they were filled with awe and amazement. They said to one another, Who is this man, that even the winds and waves obey him? So they arrived in the land of the Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. Homeless and naked, he had lived in a cemetery for a long time. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell to the ground before him, screaming, Why are you bothering me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was shackled with chains, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. What is your name? Jesus asked. Legion, he replied. For the man was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons pleaded with him to let them enter into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. So the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake, where they drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby city and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, for they wanted to see for themselves what had happened. And they saw the man, who had been possessed by demons, sitting quietly at Jesus' feet, clothed and sane. And the whole crowd was afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in that region begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them.
So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go too, but Jesus said, No, go back to your family and tell them all the wonderful things God has done for you. So he went all through the city, telling about the great thing Jesus had done for him. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I felt unworthy or unqualified, but God would just do something so cool in the midst of it. And one of those times was when I was a junior at the University of Florida and we we're getting ready to play Tennessee. And I see some of my teammates putting different eye blacks under their eyes and uh, they're putting like their mom's name or their area code under their eyes. And so I start to think, you know, I, I wonder if I could put something under my eyes that maybe could encourage someone or inspire someone. So I was like, well, God bless. I don't know. And I was like, well, Philippians 4.13, I could do that. You know, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I was like, that'll be that'll be good for a football player. So I put it under my eyes. We were blessed to win because it was Tennessee, and um, it really wasn't that big of a deal. After the game, a couple of local newspapers wrote about it, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But I kept wearing it under my eyes every single game. And as probably a lot of you know, Gator fans are very passionate. So four, five, six weeks later, they're selling it at the Gator bookstore, at the Florida Library. <laughs> you have thousands of fans showing up to games wearing Philippians 4:13 under their eyes. And I honestly believe half of them don't even know what it means. I had one guy, his name was Phil, come up to me and say, Hey, did you wear that under your eyes for me? It's <laughs> like, no, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, so we get to the SEC championship game at the end of the year, and we're getting ready to run out of the tunnel. And football is kind of one of those things where it's you have such tunnel vision. It's just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And... As I was getting ready to run out of the tunnel, I really felt like God was putting in my heart to change the verse. I was like, really, right now? And But I realized that if we won, we'd be playing a national championship on one of the biggest stages that I might ever get. And so that would be the right opportunity to change the verse. And so we were blessed to win that game. And six weeks, the next six weeks leading up to the national championship, I was agonizing and really contemplating what verse I was going to go with. And God kept bringing it to my heart and my head, John 3, 16, because it's the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's what gives us hope as Christians. So I decided to go with that. And so two days before the, the game, I went up to my parents' hotel room in Miami, Florida. And I was like, Mom, Dad, I've decided to change the verse. And we're going to go with John 3.16. My mom's super sweet and supportive. Oh, that's great, honey. And my dad's like, well, have you told Coach Meyer? Because... <laughs> He says he just likes his routines, but that dude is so superstitious, it's ridiculous. So he's like, you really need to tell him. So we were right down the street at FAU practicing. We finished our last practice for a national championship. I said, hey, Coach Meyer, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, how are you feeling? Your arm good, leg good, you ready for the game? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, you know the verse I'm wearing in my eyes? He's like, yeah, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, strengthens me. I love it. I was like, well, I'm going to change that verse tomorrow night. What? What are you talking about? You can't change that verse. That verse got us here. <laughs> it didn't get us here. So after a couple minutes of explaining it to him, he totally was supportive and understood. And honestly, after that, I didn't even really think about it. I just went out there and tried to win the championship game. We were blessed to win. And two days later, I was at Ballyhoo Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida with me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and um, Coach Meyer. And Coach Meyer gets a call, and he's like, uh-huh, 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 all right, bye. And I was like, who was that? He said, that was Steve McLean. Here's our PR guy at Florida. I said, what do you have to say? He said, did you know that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16? And honestly, my first thought was, how the heck do 94 million people not know John 3.16? <laughs> 
<laughs> Hashtag Sunday school. It's like the first thing you hear, you know? But I was just sitting in Ballyhoo Restaurant, just so humbled at how big the God is that we serve and how he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And when we just step out and show a little faith or a little courage or we just decide, hey, it's okay to be a little bit different than everybody else, what God can do in our lives. And that game just happened to be in 2009, January 8th. Well, exactly three years later, January 8th, 2012, we just happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I never even thought about John 3.16 one time, so I can't take any credit for it. I just tried to go out there and win a playoff game, and we were blessed to win this crazy playoff game in overtime. And I run in and try to, you know, shower really quick and change because I wanted to go celebrate with my family. So I'm going, running to go and do my press conference really quick. And uh, right before I walk into the press conference room, Patrick, our PR guy, jumps in front of me. He says, Timmy, do you realize what happened? I was like... Yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. Like, let me do this. He's like, no, do you realize what happened? I was like, I guess not. He said, Timmy, it's exactly three, three, not, three years from the night you wore John 3.16 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he was like, no, you don't realize. During the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards per rush were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6, and the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 90 million people Google John 3.16, and it's the number one trending thing on every platform. And I was just standing there in that hallway getting ready to do this press conference thinking that that night was about a football game. And it really wasn't, because the God that we serve is such a big God. And standing in that hallway, I knew that it was something so much more. Because the God that we serve is a God of miracles, as we're going to hear today. And it's a God that does pretty amazing things in us and through us. And I think we just have to be willing to step out and say, here you go, God. I'm going to give you my fish and, and my loaves of bread and watch what he does with it. But the God we serve can do pretty awesome, amazing things. Today we're reading Psalm 70. David was in a hurry when he wrote this brief psalm because God was not in a hurry. Three times he cried, make haste. And he ends with, do not delay. And like Peter sinking into the water, he did not have time for a long prayer. All he could cry was, Lord, save me. Which brings up the question, why does God delay answering your prayers? I mean, surely he can see your desperate situation. And he promises to give grace to help in time of need. That's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And of course, that can be translated, grace for well-timed help. Your father's timing is never wrong. When God waits, he may have a better gift for you than what you're asking him for. Because his delays are neither denials nor defeats. So put your times in his hands and wait on the Lord. Joseph, in prison, had to wait for God to free him and then to reconcile him to his brothers. Israel had to wait for deliverance from Egypt, and Moses had to wait through ten difficult plagues before Pharaoh would let the people go. Joshua and Caleb had to wait forty years before claiming their inheritance. 
and that delay was not even their fault. David had to wait to receive his throne. Mary and Martha had to wait for Jesus to come to Bethany. And while they waited, their brother died. God is not in a hurry even when we are, because His schedule is always better than ours. Psalm 70, verses 1 through 5. For the choir director, a psalm of David, to bring us to the Lord's remembrance. Please, God, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, God is great! But I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. A worthy wife is her husband's joy and crown. A shameful wife saps his strength.